our scripture is Ephesians 4, 15 through 18, and 25 to 27. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the lead, or into head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is the last of the sermon series, Nostalgia, a season of change. And haven't you enjoyed hearing the testimonies of uh, Pastor Rick and Charlie? It's been really powerful. And we have been preaching the same sermon for three weeks in a row. And I have found as listening to uh, these testimonies more than once that they tend to evolve and change uh, each week. And they have been, oh, uh, so powerful. How many of you know and understand and agree that change is all around us. I mean, uh, our seasons change. We're about to move from uh, summer uh, to fall, and maybe even a touch of winter on Tuesday. <laughs> Here there's forecast for snow up in the northwest part of the, of the panhandle. But I know, can you believe it? Uh, also, that our bodies are constantly changing as we get older, whether we like to admit that or not. And uh, change is all around us. Our culture changes, our world is, is changing. And uh, how many of y'all like change? I don't. You don't change? Well, good for you. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, change can be hard. It's a little bit scary at times. It uh, causes us to be uncomfortable. And, and we have certainly had our fill of, of change during this COVID season, right? Uh, it seems that our world has uh, sometimes uh, been uh, turned upside down in this season of change. And uh, we wish that things could be normal again. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that maybe normal isn't going to be here for a while. And to suggest that maybe God would like for us to push past wishing for things to go back the way they were and to look at embracing what he has before us here and now and to be willing to live into that for the future. Uh, a future that really involves growing up in our faith. Because it seems like that that's what a, a pandemic has done, if anything, has surfaced things that are in people's lives that maybe have been there all along. It's just caught, it was just this pandemic that allowed it to come front and center. And uh, thus, you're in the midst of that uh, season and change. And we realize how we need to grow in our relationship with God and, and to become more dependent upon Jesus and, and less dependent upon our comforts, less dependent upon our culture, and uh, being willing to embrace those uncomfortable times and seeing what God uh, can do in and through us. But how many of you know and understand that when you are facing change or maybe when you're a little bit scared and, and, and because of there's such unrest that sometimes we have a tendency uh, to want to go back to the way things were, 
to reflect back on what I would call the good old days. Uh, it's a time and the moments of uh, nostalgia and where we long for things to be the way they were, uh, for some kind of normalcy. Uh, we sometimes will reflect back on the joys of our childhood or what it was like to be a teenager again and, uh, and for people who are around my age to think about, uh, oh, just even having strength and energy again and, and what that is like. But time doesn't stand still, and neither do our relationships. In fact, our relationship with God, uh, we should be growing uh, closer to God, becoming more intimate and in, in fellowship uh, with Him. And if we're not, uh, then we are becoming stagnant, and that relationship begins to die. And the same is true uh, in the life of the church. We are either listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to guide us and moving forward in who he has called us to be in the body of Christ, or we become stagnant and begin to die. And the sad thing is, is in that time of becoming stagnant is when we're usually deceived and we don't even realize that we are dying. Now, the favorite verse in our text today is in verse 16 for me, and I am going to read this verse to you in, from Eugene Peterson's The Message because I love what it says, and it's very fitting, especially with it being on Communion Sunday. And the verse says, His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and in robust love. And so to think about... God's very breath, it's, we sang about it, his breath that's in our lungs and we pour out our praise unto you and that his blood flows through us to nourish us and, and to help us to grow. And I believe that this verse is so true uh, because if it wasn't, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. I wouldn't be here about to give you a testimony of what nostalgia and change meant for me in, in my life. And so I want you to listen to the scriptures. I've got several that I'm going to be going over and to listen uh, to these words that I say and to see if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart as well in this season of change. Because you see, at one time, I was eaten up with anger and depression. I didn't care about anybody, including myself. And it was a really low point in my life. And if it were not for the precious body of Christ in the Methodist Church in Miami, Texas, I don't know really what I would be doing or, or where I would be. But God, God in his infinite mercy and grace interceded on my behalf and it happened in and through the body of Christ in the Methodist Church. And I remember back in the 90s, uh, it was raining. I was standing in the living room looking out the window and I remember hearing myself thinking, God, is this all there is? Is this all there is uh, to ministry? Is this all there is to my relationship with you and, and to life? And there seemed to be a holy discontent in my heart. And, and what I mean by that is I had been uh, leading a children's ministry for at least 15 years. I loved children's ministry. I lived and eat and breathed children's ministry. It was wonderful. Children are a whole lot easier to teach and to deal with than adults are. And so why was there this unrest uh, that was in my heart? What in the world is, is going on here, God? And uh, so it wasn't long, though, after I began noticing this unrest 
and not realizing God was dealing with me, that I heard my pastor preach a sermon about the Holy Spirit giving the church the gifts to people, the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and that these gifts were given to equip God's people uh, for building up the church and for God's work in this world. And as I listened to the sermon, I felt the Holy Spirit moving up on my heart. In fact, my heart felt like that it was about to just beat out of my chest. And, and I went down to the altar and I knelt and I committed my life to God and surrendering to a call in my life uh, for full-time ministry. Now, I don't mind saying that the thought of allowing God to be in complete control of my life <laughs> in and through full-time ministry was a very scary thing. And so what I did is what I normally did, this pattern of any time that I sense failure or fear or rejection, is that I would run. I would run and hide. It was a, a protective mechanism. And so I began to run from God for three years uh, because I didn't quite understand what that was going to look like, how that was going to fit my life, my family's life, and how that was going to fit into the Methodist church. Little did I know that God heard and he honored my simple act of obedience of going and kneeling at the altar that day. God knew my heart and he was already at work and preparing me for full-time ministry. But first, first God needed to grow me up in a lot of ways, especially in how I viewed him because my view of God wasn't very good simply because of the baggage that I carried around and the upbringing that I had. God knew that I needed to be healed for my heart to be transformed so that I could be the child of God that he created me to be and so that I would be able to uh, work for him in his kingdom. So during these three years that I was running away from God, uh, my life simply began to unravel around me. And that first year of running, my grandmother died from multiple strokes. And uh, that was really hard for me because my grandmother and I were very close. But you also need to know that for me, my grandmother and her house was my safe place. It was a safe place for me because it was where I would go to escape from worry and fear and the chaos and the anger, the child abuse, the rage, the alcoholism, the dysfunction in the home that I was raised in. My grandmother's home was that safe place where I knew that I wasn't going to be beaten every day and be abused by my dad. And my grandmother's house was peaceful. It was a place of love and joy. And some of my favorite memories as a child in going to church was going with her to the Methodist church there in Miami, Texas. So my grandmother, needless to say, was in a very high place of priority for me in my life. The second year of my running... My mom had a heart attack, and it was a massive heart attack. It was very life-changing for her and for me and, and my brothers. And I knew in my heart that this heart attack was a result of 38 years of stressful living in a very uh, chaotic and um, dysfunctional, um, angry home. And I was very angry with my dad for creating such destructive and a violent force in my family. I hadn't forgiven him, and the anger had just built and built in my life. And then a year later, it was on a cold and rainy night in April. The girls and I were celebrating their dad's 40th birthday, 
But we were also celebrating the fact that we had doubled the size of our house. It had taken us five years to add on to this house. The work was done as we had money to be able to, uh, to work on this house. And so it was a, a great celebration. Then we went to bed that night, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, we had received a lot of rain already, and we were awakened by a very loud gushing and spraying of water that was coming up out of the shower and the bathtub and the kitchen sinks and the bathroom sinks, and it wasn't just water. It was raw sewage gushing, gushing up through every available pipe and opening in our house. Our house was completely flooded, and we found ourselves knee-deep, no exaggeration, knee-deep in raw sewage from the town of Miami's sewer system in a matter of minutes. If you can imagine this house that we had just completed and all of a sudden, this was here. And you heard me right, raw sewage. The smell was horrible. You could smell our house many blocks away. And the fumes from that sewage was so toxic that our nostrils and our eyes were burned from it. We were scurrying around trying to get the electricity turned off because we were afraid of an explosion from all of the toxic fumes and the gases. We were trying to get windows open and to grab the girls and to get out of the house to safety. When we stepped outside, uh, the water was up to our shins from the rain, and we were standing there totally disoriented in total shock. I took the kids over to a dear friend's house that was nearby so that they could dry off and get warm and maybe finish sleeping through the night, and I went back to what was a disaster. And as I was crying and sliding around knee-deep in poop <laughs> with a shovel in hand ready to begin to shovel that out, then God, God in his sense of humor, sent a dear friend, <laughs> yeah, sense of humor, sent a dear friend and brother in Christ by the name of Tom Stribling to my house. Now, for those of you who do not know, Tom Stribling was a Methodist pastor in Canyon for 17 years. He retired this year, but he and I both lived in Miami. We both went to the Methodist church in Miami. We answered the call to ministry at the same time, and we went to seminary together in Duke at the same time. And so Tom and I were dear friends. And how he found out about this, I guess my friend must have called the prayer chain uh, because here he came. Uh, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. The electricity's off. It's still raining. I'm crying, standing knee-deep in poop. Tom stomps through this house with a shovel in hand and a flashlight, and he brings it up, and he shines that flashlight in my face, and he says, Hello, baby. Poop happens. Except he didn't say poop. He had another word for that. And so right there, there was a little bit of light and laughter and love and comfort in a horrible situation. And we all stood there and we laughed together and we cried together. And Tom was very instrumental in not only helping to get our house put back together, but to help us to put our lives back together as well. Now, you may ask, how in the world did that happen? What caused that? Well, we had received a lot of rain for a long period of time. We lived at the bottom of a hill. And when the city went and repaved the streets there in Miami, they somehow managed to pave over the manhole covers 
Also, they were in need of replacing all the old orange, Orangeburg sewer pipes that were old and crack and not very sturdy. It was going to cost them a lot of money, therefore they chose to ignore the problem. So when all of this rain came flooding in, there was nowhere for this sewage to go except the path of least resistance, which happened to be our house. We also didn't have any house insurance at the time. Mm, yeah. By this point, I was mad. <laughs> I was so angry. I was angry with the city because they wouldn't take responsibility for what was about to happen. They knew that they would go broke if they did. I was angry at the fact that we didn't have insurance. I was angry at the world, but I was especially angry with God. Why did he allow this to happen? Why did I, we have to suffer so much? Why was there so much loss in my life? Where were we going to live? Why did this have to happen to my mom? Why was my grandmother now gone? Why, God, why? And then I began to bargain with God and say, you know, I read my Bible daily. I pray. I faithfully serve the church. Do you see the dysfunction even in my relationship with God? thinking that I could earn his love and following a list of rules and don'ts and saying, if I do this, then God, I expect you to do that. See, I didn't even understand my relationship with God, that it's a love relationship, that God isn't a candy machine or a genie in a bottle, that we give him our wish list and he just gives it at our, our beck and call. And I wanted those why questions answered. My life was out of control. I was grieving, so of course I was angry. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. I love this passage because in it, God gives us permission to be angry. He knows that we're going to get angry. But he also knows that anger can deceive us and destroy us if we don't deal with it. And that's why he tells us not to go to bed angry or to use it as fuel to seek out revenge. And I was guilty of doing both. There was so much anger built up inside of me that if I had received the slightest little pressure in life through circumstances or people around me, I was like a volcano. I just spewed hurtful words onto anybody that came near me. I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't sleep well. I wasn't eating well. I did not want to be around other people, and I certainly didn't want anybody else asking me questions. And so what did I do? I turned inward more, ran to my grandmother's house, and hid. Which, by the way, was where we lived while it took several months for our house to be put back together. But what I didn't know at the time and realized much later, that God was dealing with me with my attachments. And what I mean by that is I had been angry for so long that it had become an attachment upon me. And my second attachment was thinking that I was in control. Control was a defense mechanism and anger was the fuel that fed it. And God was dealing with me on those attachments. But he was also dealing with me uh, with my idols. Because you see, God wants us to turn to him for our comfort, for our strength, and for that place of refuge. I was turning to my mom, to my mother, to my house, and to things. And those are all gifts and blessings that God has given to us, but they should never be number one spot 
uh, in our lives. I didn't have God first. I would just turn to God in a time of crisis. Now, what I want you to hear is, is that God did not cause me to lose all of these things in my life. But he did use this tragedy to change and transform me. He used it for my good and for his glory. And I will forever be grateful for how he used this to prepare me and to equip me for the future that he had in store for me in the area of full-time ministry. So I ask each of you here today, and I ask those of you who are watching online, what are your attachments and what are your idols? What anger issues are you not dealing with and perhaps are covering them over like the manhole covers were paved over? Because you see, if you leave that anger not dealt with, it's going to come spewing out someplace in that path of least resistance. What are you hanging on to at all cost? And who are you putting first in your life instead of God? Who or what are you turning to for your comfort, for your hope, and for your place of refuge? Because it is in times like in COVID, when those things that are buried deep in your life Well, a crisis has a way of surfacing those things. And it's in that moment that we have a choice that we can allow God to take it and use it for his good and for his glory, or we can allow it to destroy us. You see, God in his mercy will take these things that happen in our lives, and he will help us if we will simply trust him, if we will uh, embrace what is before us, rather than running from it, ignoring it, or getting angry. And a lot of times we we refuse. We don't want to embrace those things because they're scary and and they're hurtful. God wants us to depend on him and not the attachments and idols that we have in our life. And he is preparing us, church, for a future that he has for us. And are we willing to move forward with him for the kingdom of God? Now, as I stood to my anger and my anxiousness and my depression... My family and church family knew that I was not the person that I used to be. They knew that things were not right with me. But God in his mercy and grace and wisdom sent the body of Christ into action. And my church family and my family uh, began to flood me with truth, grace, and love. Because, you see, I needed to grow and to mature in my faith, and especially with my relationship with God. And as my relationship with God got healthy, then my relationship with others became healthy as well. Growing up in truth and love frees us from attachments and idols. And I want to say that again. Growing up in truth and love frees us from attachment and idols because it gives us a foundation on which we can stand. It gives us the ability to be able to trust because we know that we are loved and we are able to let go of those attachments and to remove the idols in our lives. But how many of you know that truth and love hurts when you are full of pride and anger? Because you see, Jesus is truth, Jesus is love, And he reveals his truth and love to us in and through the body of Christ. But when you are full of pride and anger, you don't want someone telling you the truth. You don't want someone coming to you and and letting you know that you need to change. Because we are afraid of change and we are dealing with that pride and that anger. 
Well, I want you to know that the church in Miami, not only the church, Methodist Church in Miami, but people from the, across the entire panhandle helped put our house back together. There was a bank account open, and the money began to pour in, and the help began to show up. And it was a very humbling experience receiving all of that support and love, and all I could do was stand there and say, thank you. And yet that's what we need to learn to do is to receive, to be humble enough to receive from others and to say thank you. And how many blessings do we miss out on because of hiding, because of fear, because we don't want to let people know that we're in need. And yet that's how God chooses to love us. God sent a group of ladies in my life. Well, he didn't send They had been in my life. But he brought them front and center. And I call these ladies the hounds of heaven because they would not leave me alone in this time. And we had prayed together once a week in the sanctuary, in the church, for a very long time. During this time of my anger and the issues that I was going through, these ladies, no matter how much I resisted them, they, would, they still would return. They would not let go of me, and I am grateful. And I must say that Ephesians 4.18 describes me a to a T. It says, I had refused for so long to deal with God that I lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. And I had. I had lost uh, in touch with God and reality. But praise God, in his mercy, he sent these hounds of heaven to me. These ladies that I had prayed with for years, they knew that I was at the end of my rope. They knew that I had a call in my life. In fact, the whole church knew. They were just waiting for me to answer the call. <laughs> and, uh, and they knew that I was trying to run away from God. So finally, I agreed with them to meet with them in the sanctuary to go and to pray, even though I did not want to be there. I thought it was going to be the biggest waste of time, and I simply said yes to appease them so that they would leave me alone. That's how stubborn and bullheaded I was. And not only did I show up just to appease them, but I thought, I'll fix them. I'll just get asked them to answer all of my why questions. And I knew that they couldn't. That's what I was wanting to do, you know, set them up for failure. So just answer these why questions for me. But look at Ephesians 4.25. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. So after a nearly an hour of arguing with these ladies as they were speaking truth into my life, I finally agreed to go down to that altar and to bend my knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that the minute I went down there, the very second that I bent that knee, peace came. Healing came. Forgiveness came. God was there. And you know what? It all happened, and not one single why question was answered. And in that moment, it didn't matter why. why. It's because I had an encounter with the who. And I finally realized that I had, believe, had been believing a lot of Satan himself because I was so full of anger. I was angry at the world. I was angry at my dad. I was angry with God. And I was deceived. Anger can deceive and destroy you if you do not receive the truth and love that God has for you. It is so important to forgive and to process that anger. 
And Christ came in the fullness of his grace and truth and love, and he delivered me from my attachments and my idols. And you may be asking the question, so what are you trying to say to us? God should be first and foremost in your life, number one. And if your relationship with God is healthy, then those other relationships are going to be healthy too. Because you see, circumstances and people and things are always going to be changing. There's always going to be change. There's always going to be unrest. God is the only one that doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you put your relationship with him first, it doesn't matter what all of these other moving parts are are going on because God is going to sustain you and to see you through. But you have got to be willing to trust him. Secondly, our relationships, our families, our homes, the things that we have, they're all gifts and blessings given to us by God. And he asks us to be good stewards with them, but we are not to hang on to them very tightly. We have to realize and understand that it all belongs to God. And I know that uh, there is a lot of change going on, but God in his wisdom will transform our lives in the midst of a change called COVID. And God in his mercy and his grace will also get us through the grief of the loss of our denomination. And God will be with us as we go through the process of changing our church name as well. Because you see, what is most important, it's not the name that's on the outside of the building. And it's not about a denomination. Okay? The church belongs to God. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And that is the most important thing. And God is preparing us for a future. He has a plan for us. Are we willing to bend our knee, humble ourselves before God, and say yes to him? Let us pray. Lord, we we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness to us. And that even when we don't feel like it, You are here with us, ready to love us through what seems to be impossible situations. Lord, help us to trust you, to live in your truth, and to trust in your grace so that we can let go of those attachments, so we can let go of those idols that we have a tendency to worship. Lord, we ask that you would please forgive us and to prepare our hearts as we receive Holy Communion. Amen.